Okay, Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you for your, your grace in giving us Jesus. Thank you for our faithful high priest who has passed through the heavens, who sits now at your right hand, interceding for us, offering himself as sacrifice, bringing us new life through his resurrection. Father, help us to draw near to you. Teach us what that means. Forgive us, Lord, when we, when we go days, weeks, without really coming before you. Teach us to pray. Thank you that you can sympathize with all that we're going through. Lord, speak to our hearts today. Help us to obey in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> You'll notice in verse 14, there is a phrase that you are going to recognize as being very familiar if you've been uh, here listening to our, our series through Hebrews. At the end of verse 14, it says, Let us... Hold fast our confession, okay? Now, if that sounds a little bit familiar, it is because it's very familiar, okay? That's the theme of the book of Hebrews, okay? The writer of Hebrews is continually and constantly telling us, hey, listen, if you're a born-again believer, if you're a genuine Christian, then you've got to hold fast to your conviction that Christ is everything you need. You've got to hold fast to, to, to your confession that Jesus is your Savior, your King. You've got to hold fast to your faith, okay? And, and we've seen that all through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter uh, 2, verse 2, okay? Let us not drift away from the word that we've heard. Uh, chapter 2, verse 3, don't neglect such a great salvation. Chapter 3, verse 6, hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Chapter 3, verse 13, don't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Chapter 3, verse 14, hold our original confidence firm to the end. Chapter 4, verse 1, fear, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach God's rest. And now in chapter 14, hold fast to our confession of faith. Okay, all of those things are telling us the same thing. Hold on, okay? Hold on to your faith. Hold on to your hope in Christ. Hold on to your confidence. Persevere through the difficult things in life, okay? I don't know if many of you have been uh, whitewater rafting. But in whitewater rafts, they have this little strap on the bottom of the boat that is incredibly important to your survival, okay? All right? And what you do with that strap is you jam your foot as far as you can in there and you hold fast, okay? All right? So, so what always happens is we're in the boat and we're in, in kind of a quiet, you know, little section of the river. And everybody's, you know, messing around, splashing each other, just relaxing. And the guide says, all right, guys, we're getting ready to enter into a class, whatever, rapid. And everybody begins to jam their foot in that thing, okay? They begin to hold fast because they know there are bumpy things. There are difficult things. There, there's a wild ride coming up and it's better to be in the boat than out of the boat, okay? That, that's, that's the thing. And it's better to be in Christ than out of Christ, all right? And the the mark of your perseverance, the mark of your salvation is your perseverance. It is you holding fast to Jesus Christ. Now, 
a little bit of nuance change here, which I love. <clears throat> Verse 14, he says, let us hold fast to our confession. Okay. Now, what does he mean confession? Okay, well, I, I think certainly that would include your confession that Christ is my king. If you're here today, you're in one of two categories. You're either a person that said, man, I, I have repented of my sin and I put everything in Jesus Christ. I am following him. I'm trusting him. I'm hoping in him. He's my life. He's my king. He's my everything. Okay, that is a, an inward conviction, an inward reality. Okay, but notice that confession is a word that describes a public agreement, a speaking, a statement of allegiance, okay? And the reason that I point that out to you is I think a lot of people think of their, their Christian life this way. They think of, okay, I got, I got here what's happening in my heart, okay? I believe, I trust Jesus, I love Jesus, I'm seeking Jesus in my heart. But sometimes, then, then over here, we have our outward, and it's like, I'm not really telling anybody about him. I'm not really talking about him. I'm not really bragging about him. I'm not really speaking God's truth to anybody. I'm not really living this out very much. Okay, the Bible really doesn't have those two categories, okay? The Bible sees that all as one, okay? So, so the person that's holding fast to their confession is the person that's bragging on Jesus. They're the person that's, that's speaking God's truth, okay? Now, I'm not saying, you know, hey, if you want to be saved, go tell somebody about Jesus. No, no. If you want to be saved, put your faith in him. You know, trust him. Repent of your sins, all right? But if you are a believer, part of that living the Christian life is a public stand for Jesus, okay? It just is. Remember, what Romans 10, 9 says, it says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that, that Jesus uh, is Lord, uh, confess with mouth, believe in your heart. I mean, there, there's, there, 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 it's the same thing, really. I mean, it's, it's the same motion of embracing faith. And so what I'm telling you here is that I think there's, there's kind of an extra nuance in this particular verse of holding fast to living out your faith, okay? I don't know if you knew this, but but being a disciple means you make disciples. Did you know that? That's the, that's the command on our lives. When Jesus ascended into heaven, you remember what he said? He, he said, man, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. What did he say? Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Tell somebody about Jesus. Brag on Jesus. Speak God's truth, okay? You don't, you don't have to have a slick presentation. You don't have to have a sales pitch. Just be a person that you are so convinced that Jesus is the real deal, that you, you, man, it just leaks out of you, you know? You're just talking to your kids and it just leaks out, man. Trust Christ, hey, put your faith in Christ. This is what Jesus did. Man, he's good. I mean, it, it, it is a confession that comes from an inward reality, okay? So the writer of Hebrews is telling us, hold on, man. This is the big thing in life. If you're a believer, you gotta hold fast to your confession because things are gonna get rough in your life, okay? Sorry to have to tell you that. But notice verse 15, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our, what's that next word? Weaknesses. Oh, I wish it weren't true, but it is. It is, right? We get weak, okay? We get weak physically. You ever, you ever wake up and just feel like a truck ran over you? You know, I mean, that's just, that's just part of living, isn't it? I mean, we get weak. We get tired. We get tired of, of, of struggle. We get tired of holding on. We get tired of doing the right thing, don't we? I mean, there's times where, man... We're just faced with this temptation and this struggle over and over and over again. And we just get physically tired. We get emotionally tired. There's times where, where our emotions are all over. And man, yeah, we just wake up and man, we don't feel saved. We don't feel like trusting Christ. We're just emotionally out of whack. We're worried or stressed. We're, we're just in the wrong place in our emotions. We get weak. We get weak in all kinds of ways. And not only are we weak, but we're also tempted. Look at verse 15 again. We don't have a high priest who's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who is in every respect has been tempted, three words, as we are. 
We're tempted, aren't we? Man, that deceitfulness of sin comes at us at every angle. To be bitter, to be angry, to be lustful, to be covetous, to have self-pity, to be prideful, to be apathetic, to be lazy, to spin off, to feel like we deserve things we don't deserve. We are tempted in all kinds of ways, okay? So we have these weaknesses coming up before us. We have these temptations coming up before us. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, man, you got to hold fast to your confession. you got to hold fast in your heart and in your life. you got to hold fast to what it means to be a believer, okay? And he's giving us a great resource here. How are we going to do that? How are we going to hold fast? Last week, we looked at the Word of God. week before that, we looked at, at the people of God. Okay, what are we looking at today? We're looking at verse 14. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. All right, what's he giving you, first of all, to enable you to hold fast? He's giving you a great high priest. Now, what is a high priest, all right? Have you ever read the Old Testament and thought, <clears throat> What? You ever, you ever did that? You ever you know, read through your Bible and you get to like Leviticus and you got all these priests that are killing all these sheep and they're taking out their entrails and they're, they're, they're sprinkling the blood on the altar and you, know, you can't even put your dog down when it broke its leg, you know, and you're thinking, man, what is this? You know, blood everywhere, you know. Have you, you, ever, you, ever, you ever thought about what is all the purpose of all that Old Testament stuff? I like what John Piper said. John Piper says the Old Testament provides for us the categories to understand the ministry of Jesus. Okay? Why, why, didn't, why didn't God just like, okay, you got Adam and Eve, they sin, they fall. You know, God makes a prophecy, man. You know, the, the seed of the woman's going to bust your head, Satan. He's going to crush you. Okay? Why didn't just Jesus come next? You know why? Because we would not have a capacity to understand his ministry, okay? But when you've got all these books and all these years and all this history of Israel, of, of these sacrifices teaching us that your sin is so bad, my sin is so bad, some had to die, okay? And if you don't get rid of your sin, you're going to die. The wages of sin is death. Something's got to die. There's got to be a sacrifice for sin. And then there's all these animals that are sacrificed, but it's never enough because they've got to keep doing it. And then all of a sudden, here comes Jesus. And he gives his life. And then it's clicking, right? Oh, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus took my, my death. He died for me, right? Okay, in the Old Testament, what do you got? You got a high priest. You got one guy in the entire people of God who can come into the presence of God. You know, you're reading the tabernacle about the Holy of Holies and the, and the thick curtain that was there. And nobody could go. You, 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 okay, listen, if you're an Israelite, you can't be like, I'm going to go talk to God today. I'm going to get in his presence, you know. Get out of the way, you know. Let me go in this curtain. You're a dead man. You're a dead man before you, you take a step in there. You remember the guys who are hauling the, the Ark of the Covenant and the ox stumbles and then the thing, the cart shifts and, and he puts out his hand. Godly, righteous man puts out his hand to stabilize the Ark. What happens? He is dead on contact. Why? Because you can't come before a holy God. But God made this concession. I'm going to appoint a high priest. That one guy, once a year, can come into the Holy of Holies. If he's been prepared. If he's, if he's been sanctified. If not, they put a rope on his leg to drag him out. If he's ready. Okay, he can come in there once a year. And he can sprinkle the blood. Onto the mercy seat to stave off God's wrath. All right, so we got this category for high priest, right? And now we got with Jesus, what do we got? We got one man who ascends. What's verse 14 say? Through the heavens, through him, okay? Through the heavens into the presence of God, to the throne of God, to be seated at the right hand of God. 
who intercedes for us, who brings himself as a sacrifice. Man, isn't that sweet? Let's read a little bit in chapter 5, shall we? Verse 1. For every high priest is chosen from among men and is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. That's what Jesus does for us. To offer gifts and sacrifices. That's what Jesus does for us, for sins. Verse 2. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. So can Jesus. Since he himself is beset with weakness, Jesus knew our weakness. Verse 3, because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. That's not Jesus. That was every other high priest, right? But now Jesus doesn't need to offer sacrifice for his own sins because he has no sins. He can be our sacrifice, right? Verse 4, no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but he was appointed by him who said, you are my son today. I have begotten you. My friends, Jesus is our perfect high priest who has ascended through the heavens and has made sacrifice for our sins and is, is, is interceding for us on our behalf. That is Jesus Christ, all right? Now, I want you to think about for a minute here that Jesus... Notice this phrase in verse 15. It says, But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's an important phrase, okay? Because what the Bible is doing here is it's calling you, it's drawing you, it's encouraging you, it's equipping you so that you come to God, okay? You come when you sin, when you struggle, when you're pressed, when you're anxiety ridden, when you're when you're beaten down, that your reflex is to come to God. Because that's not our natural reflex. Our natural reflex is to go away from God, right? Because we think he doesn't understand what I'm going through. He's ashamed of me. He's he he hates me. Man, he's he's tired of me. I mean, that's our reflex. But the Bible is saying, no, 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 no. As a believer, you got You gotta have a natural inclination to come to God, realizing that Jesus Christ can sympathize with everything that you are going through. Now we're saying, well, no, he can't because (laughs) newsflash, I am a mess up, okay? I blow it. I fail. I, I make a disaster of things. I'm supposed to do the right thing and then I don't and I blow it and I trip and I fall and I mess it up. Jesus is nothing like that. So he doesn't know what I am going through. I disagree, okay? You see, the guy who resists temptation knows the power of temptation a lot more than the guy who caves, okay, right? The guy who resists temptation, the guy who is faced with it time and time and time and time and time and time and time, that guy knows the force of temptation. That guy knows the strength of temptation. That guy bears the weight of it. The guy who caves in 30 seconds, he, man, he's a lightweight. He doesn't know anything about temptation. Think of Joseph. Does Joseph know anything about adultery? Well, I guess some people might say, well, no, Joseph never committed adultery. He never committed sexual sin that we read of in the scriptures. So that guy doesn't know anything about adultery. Hey, I disagree. Let me read you a passage out of Genesis. Genesis 39, beginning in verse 7. After a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. He's getting a direct invitation, invitation to sexual immorality. But he refused. And he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He's put everything in, the, in my charge. He, he is not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now notice verse 10. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day. What's this guy going through? 
Every day, every day, every day. Temptation, temptation, temptation. You think Joseph was weak sometimes? You bet. You think he got lonely sometimes? Do you think he got bitter maybe? You think he struggled with his family abandoning him and betraying him and selling him into slavery and being a slave when he should be a son? Do you think he had all kinds of emotions going through his head? You bet he was tempted in every way. But every day, every day, day after day, he said, no, 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 no. Let's keep reading. Verse 11, one day when he went in to the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house. Does Joseph know about temptation? You better believe it. Okay? Much more than the guy who, who, who gets, you know, 10 seconds of resisting and then crumbles like a cookie, okay? That guy doesn't know anything about the strength of temptation. Well, Harley's a... MMA fighter. You know, I picture temptation like a fight. Does that resonate with you? I mean, it's a struggle, isn't it? I mean, there's times where, man, the devil is after you and and you're being tempted and you're so angry. And and man, it's it's a battle, isn't it? Okay. Well, here's how I kind of picture it, like a cage fight, okay? And, And lined up around the ring are 20 guys and each one is better than the guy before, okay? And we, we step in the ring every day, right? We step in the ring and here comes the first guy, right? Temptation, right? We're driving to work, you know, and, and, and we're a little late and traffic is horrible. And there's this oil field truck that's going 10 miles an hour, you know, and then we try to get in the other lane and somebody cuts us off. You know what some people do? Tap out right then. They're out, man. That was all it took. You know, one guy, the weakest guy gets in the ring and they're out, man. They're tapped out. They're angry. They're rolling down their window saying things ought not be said. They're waving in ways that you ought not wave. All right. But they're out, you know. Okay. Other people, they get up, same scenario, get cut off. They're late. It's okay. I'm going to battle through this. Hey, Jesus, you're better trust in you. It's okay. I'm just going to put my, put myself in your hands. Hey, great. Have a nice day. You know, there we go. Okay. Round one over. Okay. Here comes the better guy. Here comes another round. Okay. You resisted that one. Now here comes another one. You get to work, you get in there. There's the one most annoying person in the office waiting there. You're late. Okay, man. Here goes again. Round two. Okay. All right. Some people they're out then, you know, they made it to the first guy, second guy tapped out. Okay. Here's the deal with Jesus. He fought them all every time, and he won. Every one. Worse, harder, more pressure, more, more struggle, more difficulty, more temptation, again and again and again and again and again. And he never caved, okay? Jesus knows temptation far more than you or I will ever know it. Because we've never got to the end. We always blow it at some point. Maybe it's a week, maybe it's a month, maybe it's a year. We blow it in some way, we blow it in our mind, we blow it in our heart. Blow with our words. And Jesus knows temptation. Jesus, there's been more demanded of Jesus, more asked of Jesus. Jesus has carried more grief. He's carried the full measure of death. Man, none of us will, will, will if you're a believer anyway, if you're not a believer, then you're, 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 someday you will bear the measure of your death, your guilt, and your sin. It's a place called hell. But if you're a believer, guess what? Man, you're never going to bear that. You're never going to bear the full weight of your death. You're never going to bear the full weight of your sin. You're never going to bear the right. You know why? Because Jesus bore it for you. Not only yours, but every other believer. Man, he's been places we'll never go. And we think he can't identify. He can't realize how hard it is, what a struggle it is. 
You know what's interesting? Is that my experience is when people blow it, when they're struggling, you know what a lot of folks do? They don't come to Christ. Like that's the time they're not praying. You know, man, they're in the thick of it. They've blown it. They've kind of made a shambles. And you know what they do? They go the other way. Oh, I've blown it so bad. I'm just going to keep blowing it. You know, Jesus doesn't want to talk to me. He's, he's embarrassed to me. He's, you know what the Bible says? Verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Sympathize. You know what it means to Sympathize means to share in our sufferings, to enter into someone's suffering with the intention to help, okay? Sympathy in the Bible is never, pat, 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 I'm out of here, okay? It's never that. In the Bible, it is, man, I feel your pain. I feel your struggle. Let me walk with you. Let me me carry some with you. Let me help you make it through. That's sympathy in the Bible. And it says that Jesus is able to sympathize, okay? And my, my experience is, People don't think of Jesus as sympathetic. They think of Jesus thinking they're pathetic, okay? That, that's the way most people are, and I've been that way, all right? Jesus can sympathize. That ought to draw you to him. Do you understand what that ought to do? It'll be like a magnet, all right? He wants to help. He's not mocking you. He's not throwing up his hands. He's not sick of you. He's not irritated with you. He's not bothered by you. He wants you to come. He's able to help you. But what I see us doing is we turn other places. Like when we're really stressed, upset, struggling, weak, tempted. You know what a lot of folks will do? They'll not turn to Jesus. They'll turn everywhere else. Open up your Facebook account if you have one. Not now, but you know, if you have one. Everybody. He said. What do you see on Facebook? You, you see a bunch, not everybody, but you see a bunch of posts. And they're just crying out. Help me. Somebody. Understand what I'm going through. I'm struggling. I'm weak. I'm tired. I'm stressed. I'm overwhelmed. I mean, it's, that's where they're going for sympathy. And, 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 and there's nothing wrong with going to your friends. Don't hear me say that. Don't, 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 I'm not condemning that. I'm, I'm making an observation. Do you get that? I'm making an observation that there are people that are struggling and weak and, and tired and overwhelmed. And it, it's all over online, you know. And some folks are coming to their aid. Man, I'm sorry. Praying for you. You know. You know? But listen. Here's what I want in my life. I want to go to God, you know. I want my reflex to be Jesus is the one who I go to. And you know what I feel immediately? He understands. He knows. He's struggling with me. He's going to enter into my suffering. He's going to enter into my pain. He's going to enter into my temptation. And he's going to help me. He's going to help me. That's the key. He's going to help me. And so so what what should we get from this, all right? Since we have this great high priest who's gone through the heavens... Who's our, who's our high price? Who's able to sympathize with our weaknesses? Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near. All right, do you see those two words? Draw near. Focus on those. What's that talking about? It's talking about prayer, okay? Prayer is the means by which the grace of God, the mercy of God, the strength of God, the power of God enters into your life. But I want you to notice that you can pray and not draw near to God. True? Can you pray and not draw near to God? You betcha. Can you say words, yes, and not be near God? Jesus condemned the Pharisees all the time. He said, with your mouth, you, you, you praise. With your heart, you are far from me, okay? 
How many times have you said prayers that were empty? Have you said prayers that your heart was not drawn near to God? You, you were not close to God. You were not seeking God. You were saying prayers, but, but it was, you were not drawing near, okay? The Bible says we need to draw near to God, okay? Because we have this faithful high priest who's in the heavens interceding for us, who sacrificed us. We need to draw near to God. Okay, what does that mean? Well, drawing near means, first of all, you draw near with your attention, okay? God, I'm... My focus is not on this, not on that, it's not on that, it's not on that, it's not. God, I'm, I'm putting my focus on you. God, I'm drawing near with my mind. I'm drawing near with my attention. I'm, I'm sitting at your feet. God, I'm drawing near with my affections. God, I'm, as I come near you, God, I begin to praise. That's what Philippians 4, 6 tells us to do when we're anxious, isn't it? God, I'm coming near and, and I'm praising. God, thank you that you're good. God, thank you. I praise you for your greatness. I praise you for your love. I praise you for your mercy. I praise you, you're my high priest. I'm drawn near with my affection. I'm drawn near with my will. I'm listening. God, I'm, I'm standing before you. I'm getting close. You see, sometimes we don't listen when we pray. We just, we just talk. That's all we do. Okay, we just talk, 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 talk. But we're not, we're not drawn near. When you draw near, what do you do? You listen. I, can, I need to hear you, God. I get close so I can hear. I want to hear. And then what do we do? We draw near in our, in our will. We submit. God, I'm ready. Tell me. Tell me what to do. That's drawing near to God. You ever seen a team, team of boys, basketball team, wrestling team, baseball team? You know what they're doing before practice? Nothing good. You know, I mean, it's, it's wedgies and it's, you know, shoulder pops and it's, you know, spitting on each other. And it's just, just a mess, Okay. Head coach comes. What happens? Hopefully, for a good team, what do they do? They draw near. Physically, what? Come attention, attention, respect, listening, ready. What do we do? Run, run laps. Okay? We draw near to God. We want to help you with that today. Um, this is not anything magic, okay? This is, this is really... Very similar to what we do in our Ask Prayer meeting, okay? But this is for you to do on your own. This is a tool, okay? It's called the prayer wheel. has nothing to do with Buddhist prayer wheels, okay? Now, if I would have made this up, I would have started it at 12 o'clock, but this is Curtis Sargent's, and so he started at 9, all right? So you start with praise and you end with praise, okay? Start with praise and end with praise. That's the way it's supposed to work, okay? So, so let's just walk through this, okay? So you start, you got five minutes of praise, okay? Five minutes of, you just, you begin to, what are you doing? When you, what are you doing when you praise? You're drawing near, right? God, I'm gonna, I'm stopping everything. I'm, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm whatever. God, I'm gonna come and I'm just gonna look at you. God, man, you're awesome. God, you're, you're incredible. You're faithful. You're good. You're kind. You're, all, you're praising. Okay. Then you move into five minutes of. Oh, this is the hard one for me. And this one's got several of them. Waiting. Okay. So I, I praise God for five minutes. And then you know what I do for five minutes? Man, I listen. God, what, what do you want for this hour? God, what's the big things on my plate right now? God, what do, you, what, do you want, what do you want me to hear? And then here's the hard part. Are you ready? I'm going to do the hard part for you. That's hard, wasn't it? So that's, that's the hard part right there. I'm going to listen. I'm going to put my attention. My mind starts to wonder. I'm going to pull it back. Pull it back. Draw near, draw near, draw near. Confession. I need to get right with him, Right? Isn't that drawn near? I don't want something between us. God, I begin to go through the categories. God, 
Well, have I said things I shouldn't have said? God, how have I spoken to my wife? How have I spoken to my kids? God, how have I spoken to my coworkers? God, have I said things that were meant to hurt people? Have, have I said things that were dishonoring? Have I said crude things? Have I said unholy things? Have I said things out of anger? As God reveals, what do I do? What do I do if I'm a Christian? I confess, God, that was a sin. Lord, I, I plead the blood of Jesus. I'm drawing near. Plead the blood of Jesus. Jesus, please forgive me for that. Please wash that away. Please give me power not to do that again. Then I go to other categories. My thoughts. God, have I thought things? Have I, have I, had, have I been replaying the tape over and over in my mind of how somebody hurt me? Have I been just getting bitter and more bitter and more bitter? God, that's sin. God, I confess that. God, have I, have I been greedy? God, have I coveted? Have I, have I, have I, have I, have I lusted? What, have I had sins in my mind? God, I confess those. I plead the blood of Jesus. God, have I not done things you've called me to do? God, have I, you've told me to do things and I've just not done them. I've just been disobedient. I know I should do them, but I'm not. God, confess that. Say, okay, I'm confessing. Okay, five minutes confession. Then I begin to read the word. Why do I read the word? Because whose word is this? It's God's. So wherever I'm at, wherever you're at in your Bible reading, it doesn't matter. Just where you're at, where you read. So I begin to read. Take care, brothers. Lest there be an evil, unbelieving heart. I think about God's word. God, what are you saying to me there? I need to be careful. I don't, I don't want my heart to be unbelieving. So five minutes of reading the word, kind of praying as you read it, asking God to help you understand it. Five minutes of petition, okay? Now, in, in, this, in this wheel, uh, petition and intercession are pretty much the same thing to me, but in the wheel... Petition is general things, okay? What do I mean by general things, okay? Who should I pray holiness for? Everybody, right? I mean, is there somebody in here? Like, I pray holiness for me, definitely, you know? For Shelby, yes. Paula, no, she's got it all covered. She doesn't need holiness, you know? No, man, I work with her. Paula needs holiness, okay? I pray for holiness for Paula, okay? Do I pray for the fruit of the Spirit for everybody? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control Everybody needs that. Do I, do I pray for uh, witnessing Christ's exaltation, disciple-making, church? I mean, I, there are things that I pray for everybody. So I spend five minutes praying for those, those things that are for everybody. And then intercession, that's specific needs, okay? Gary Babb, in the hospital this morning. God, I want to pray for Gary. Betty Jones, in the hospital this morning. I want to pray for Betty Jones. You know, Fred Martin, looking for a job. I want to pray for Fred Martin. I, those are specific things, right? I don't need to pray that for Not everybody's in the hospital. You're not in the hospital, okay? Some people are. Some people have tests. Some people have financial problems. Okay, you're praying for specific needs there, okay? Next one, pray the word, okay? So now I'm opening up my Bible. Uh, Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another every day. God, please help me to do that. God, help me to, what does it mean to exhort? God, I want to do that. Please give me, give me boldness, God, to speak truth to people. As long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. God, I don't want my heart to get hard. Please keep, keep me from disobeying. Keep me from hearing and not doing anything. God, keep me from how deceitful the sin is. What am I doing? Praying God's word. Five minutes of thanksgiving. Be thankful. Man, be thankful. Thank you, Jesus, for Emma, and Hannah, and Addie, and Avery, and Haddon, and Haven and my church and your provision. and God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Singing. Oh, some of you just bailed out, didn't you? <laughs> Bible tells us to sing. <clears throat> Praise Him. We were doing this this week. And I like to pray. My preference is outside walking. That's just my preference. I know not everybody's that way, but I just, I concentrate better. And all was good until I came to the singing part. And then I started singing to the Lord. And I don't think I'm terrible, you know. 
But this dog starts barking and snarling. The, the hair on his back was raised straight up. And he, is snar- and he follows me the entire time I sang and barked. I know I'm not no Bonnie Caster, but I didn't think I was that bad, you know. I mean, he's like horrible, but he thought it was horrible. I'll tell you what, singing has, it has saved me before from, from sin. When I've been really struggling, and there's something powerful. I don't think the devil can handle it. Meditate. Oh, the next two, they're hard. Meditate. What, what is it? Meditate is to think deeply. Roll something in your mind over and over again. So maybe something popped out at, in a scripture, you know, um, the deceitfulness of sin. God, show me how to sin is deceitful in my life. God, what am I being fooled by? What, am I, what lies am I believing? God, show me. Listen to me. I'm listening. I'm listening. Or whatever, whatever it is. God, I got this issue. God, help. What do you want me to do? God, I'm listening. Next five minutes, more listening. Okay, these are, you've prayed for 50 minutes now. Okay, so in this listening time, you know what you should be asking? All right, God, I'm getting ready to get off my knees or I'm getting ready to stop praying. What do I do? What do you call me to obey? I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want to do nothing. God, I know you're speaking. What, what do you want me to do? God, help me to respond. Then you end with five minutes of praise. I bet there's people in here that have never prayed for an hour. Um, there's probably a bunch of people that prayed for, done that all the time. They, maybe they do that every day. But I bet there's people in here that never prayed for an hour. Hey, I think, I think if you'll follow this, if you're a believer anyway, and you'll, you have the Spirit of God in you, if you'll follow this, I think you'll find what I find. Is I, I, always, I always mark the time. It just helps me. Like I mark the next. You'll find, man, you, you, you look back at your paper and you're like, ah, I'm two minutes over, you know. I only got three minutes here, you know. Ah, I'm two minutes over again, you know. Uh Man, it is good to be in God's presence. It's good to draw near. It's a challenge for you, by the way. Draw near. Where are we drawn near to, my friends? We're drawn near. Look at verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. You know what a throne is? It's where a king sits. Power. That's exciting, isn't it? It's exciting to to come near the place of power. We visited the LBJ Ranch in Texas over Christmas, and I'm not an LBJ fan, but I loved it. You know why I loved it? He spent most of his presidency there at that ranch. He was very little at the White House. He loved being at that ranch. The the major decisions of our country were made there. I, I stood under the tree that his cabinet would meet at every morning. They made decisions about Vietnam. I went in the room. He had this one special room that whenever a senator or a legislator was not cooperating, not on board with them, he'd come, he'd bring them out, he'd wine and dine them. He'd take them out in his cool car that floated in the river, you know, he'd take them hunting. And he'd bring them in the room, you know, and shut the doors. Pressure. I, I, was, I stood in that room and I thought, man, I wonder what, what laws were passed right here. That's all small potatoes. You're coming before the throne of God. You are welcomed there as a believer. Welcomed. Place of infinite power. Unlimited power. And notice verse 16. You are to come with confidence. 
You hear that, believers? Let us then with confidence. Why, why confidence? Man, because you're coming before the throne of infinite power and you've got Jesus, your high priest, your representative, you're tied to him, you're joining him if you're a believer. And he's interceding for you. He's bringing you in there. James 1 says, man, don't you dare come with doubt. Verse 5, James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Ask who gives generously to all without reproach and will be given to him. Let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What does that mean? That means don't come before God saying, well, he's probably not going to do anything, but, you know, I've tried everything else. So, all right, God, are you going to do anything? Probably not. You're probably not going to help me. I don't even think you like me. And is that any way to approach the throne of God? You ought to come with joy. You ought to come with anticipation. You, know, you remember what Hebrews eleven six says? Notice the words here. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. Whoever would, listen, whoever would draw near to God. How do you do it? Must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You see that? You come before God. You, you better have a strong conviction, man. Here's the place where I get what I need. Here's the place where, where grace comes down. Here's the place where, 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 where the trigger of God's mercy is, is engaged and, and, and what I need, my supply comes into my life. Notice in verse 16, let us draw near, let, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we may see, receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What do you get at God's throne? Mercy and grace. Mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. God is holding, God's holding back all the wrath that ought to be coming down on you. That's mercy. You get mercy for your failure. You get mercy in Christ. What else do you get? You get grace. What's grace? Grace is God shoveling all the riches, all the goodness, all the power, all the, all the glory into your life that you don't deserve. That's what you get at the throne of God. One last thing. Ready? Mercy and grace and to help in time of need. Now, first I thought in time of need. Well, man, I'm, I'm in need all the time. Okay? But when I looked that word up in the Greek, the literal translation is well-timed. Opportune time. Oh, that made so much sense. You know why? Because when I pray at 12.05 for something, I think God ought to answer at 12.06, you know, right? That's the right time, God. But I got to remember, I'm coming before the throne of God. I do believe he knows better than I. I believe his plan is good. I believe he's working all things for his glory. I believe that it's good that I don't get everything that I ask for when I ask for it. Because I, I, I have a really solid, faithful history of making dumb decisions. Okay? And I'm so glad that God gives me grace and mercy in the well-timed need. At Lincoln Avenue, you know what we do? We finish our time here with kind of a song. What's that, what's that about? We... Some people call it invitation time. Obviously, if there's a public thing, maybe God's saved you. 
and you're ready to be baptized, you're ready to join this family, maybe you're ready to unite membership. That, that, yeah, that's for that. Yeah, you come, we'll talk, I introduce you, we talk again later, you bet. But you, you know what the bigger purpose of that time is? The bigger purpose is you and I have just heard God's word. Okay, we've just read the living and active, remember last week, sharpening two-edged sword, word of God. And we dare not leave without responding. And so, so now it's on us. Now it's on me. I heard, now, God, what do you want me to do? How do I obey? Here's where this listening comes in, right? Michelle's going to come up, and Bonnie's going to lead, and we're going to sing. But honestly, sometimes you probably shouldn't be singing. Sometimes maybe you know exactly what God's saying. I mean, man, Tim, a minute into the sermon, you're like, you read the passage, you're like, yep, God, I know, I know. Maybe you're not sure yet. Maybe, and I'll tell you what you ought to be doing then. You ought to be listening. God, what do you want me to do? How do I respond to this? Lord, I believe this is true. I believe this is true. So, God, how do I live this out? Show me. God, I'll obey. I'm drawn near. Man, we got to be doers of God's word. And then you know what you ought to do? There's a place in your bulletin to write it. Then you ought to, you ought to call somebody in your small group. Tonight, even better, just tell them. Hey, man, God really convicted me that I need to, whatever it is. Would, would you help me obey that? Would you pray for me? Hey, next week, even better, would you ask me? Isn't that, isn't that what small groups are about? We help each other obey, don't we? Yeah. Let's do it. Father, we, uh, we just ask you, God. We believe your word is true. We believe that you really are our high priest. You really are in the heavens. You really are interceding for us. You really did offer yourself a sacrifice. We really can come to the throne of God. We should come with confidence. God, we believe that. You can sympathize with us, with our every, every struggle and every need. God, we, we believe it's true. So, Lord, how should we live? God, what should we do? How should we pray? When should we pray? Should we pray this afternoon? God, should we pray tonight? Should, Lord, how do you want to change our schedule? God, speak to us.